0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Ten seconds to go. Jaron dribbles into the front court, drives to the bucket. His shot, no good. Put back up and in by Trayvon Scott. Cincinnati by one. Rose from half court. His shot is no good. 20-25 towards the middle of the field with the 35, and he is gone. Trey Tucker will take it. 98 yards to the house. As Ritter catches the shotgun snap. Five-step drop from the 10. Fires deep down the middle of the field. Tyler Scott is open. Over the shoulder, catches the 38. Sprinting away from the Red Hawks. Into the end zone for an 81-yard touchdown. It is a nip at night knockout. And the fans are beginning to charge the field here at Nippert Stadium. Opportunity seized the Bearcats send a message to the college football world. Did you see that?
0: Hello, listeners new and old. Welcome back to your favorite Bearcats podcast, Viva La Cats. I am your host, Justin Hiles, accompanied by my great friend, Steve Maurer, and we are here to bring you the very best of the Bearcats week in and week out. Make sure to check us out on Twitter, at Viva Cats Pod, and follow us on Spotify, Apple Pods, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to check out at UC Uniforms for all the up-to-date uni tracker info info from Steve. Um, We're just going to get right into it because we have a lot on this rundown here. Uh, We just watched the CFP ranking show this week, and the Bearcats didn't get screwed. Um, I think we kind of got a favor there from MSU, and less from MSU and more from Purdue. Um, So thank you, Purdue, once again. Cincinnati's number five. How do we feel? Uh, Buddy,
2: uh, I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but uh, it's exciting because we're in the break glass in case of an emergency spot. You know, we're in that yeah. spot. And I was definitely expecting us to get screwed uh, like a fine screw by a Phillips screwed, uh, driver head, but the analogy does not make any sense. It <laughs> doesn't matter because the Bearcats are top five in the CFP, baby, like just outside, just on the cusp. And now the becomes all that more realistic. Now it becomes, okay. We know what has to happen. We know who has to lose. And now we kind of get a mulligan for playing like crap the last three weeks, and we just yeah. keep rolling, keep turning it on. And by no means, Justin, am I a fan of bullying, and we'll talk about this next, but do you think Gary Barda and his friends watched uh, College Game Day and were like, God damn, they really gave it to us. Like I'm sure they were expecting some shit, but did you think they expected
0: that much shit? And absolutely not. Bullying work. No no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um well in this case I'm going to I'm going to say I nobody wants to be a bully. We weren't the bullies. We were kicked. We were bullied. We were left out in the cold. And now we just got revenge. And revenge was not even it, and the, the best part is like it's not like revenge is like all right, now we're going to go kick down your door. It's it's just you know, we played a game, we won we rightfully deserve a spot in the CFP we're 9 and 0 and i think that gary barter and crew have to look at this whole scenario and say well shit we don't have a choice like it's you know before it seemed like it was kind of like well how can we measure it up with the american but like when these wins keep stacking up one on top of the next they really have to look at the scenario and understand that cincinnati has to be in this playoff situation Again, if another one of these four in front of us lose, we have to be in. There's, you can't start moving a team back for winning. You cannot penalize somebody for winning. Um, and I want to say this is pretty interesting, too, because um, the, we're going to see, I think, week by week, um, which kind of makes me nervous, but kind of gives me hope, too, um, that the head-to-head matters and then it doesn't. Um, we noticed this with Oregon and OSU, and then Michigan and Michigan State. Michigan State beat Michigan. So you would think Michigan State would be ahead of Michigan. Well, here's the kicker. Michigan State lost to Purdue 40-29. to So now you're looking at a number 7 Michigan State and a number 6 Michigan, which is a much different situation than what's going on with Oregon and Ohio State, where Oregon won the head-to-head matchup, Ohio State clearly looks better, and Oregon sits at three, whereas Ohio State is at four, because Georgia and Alabama, of course, are still winning. They're going to be locked up at one and two. So that begs the question, do the head-to-heads matter? And if so, when and why and what's the difference? Because They said Michigan looked better this week than Michigan State. Well, yeah, they are going to look better when they lose to Purdue. And, you know, Michigan State just beats up on IU like anybody else has done all season long. So I think that was really an interesting thing. Um, And I don't want to dwell too much on these other teams. Uh, Because this is definitely a lot of uh, things happening for the Bearcats all at the same time. So we really need to stay with the Bearcats here. But um, definitely an interesting week in the top 10. Lots of shakeups. Lots of moving around. And even the top 25 as a whole, we can also see that UTSA moved in. Thankfully, the committee finally, you know, paid their dues and decided, all right, well, they're undefeated. And everybody was pissed off at us. So I guess we'll just throw them in for the heck of it. Um, So that's nice to see as well, at least give them the respect that they deserve. Um, So there are now four undefeated teams in the country and the Bearcats are one of them. Um, And speaking of being undefeated, um, I have to say, I think right now we're one to know against the entire, entire crowd when it comes to game day, this season, (laughs) Georgia had it like three, four times and I don't think I saw a single college game day that brought quite as many people as we had this weekend. Uh, you were there. So please tell us more about it. <clears throat> so
2: Justin, I, uh, my, uh, crazy, butt woke up at 4am on Saturday and I packed a water, uh, and I packed a few other things. I was not expecting to get in the pit because I knew there was a bunch of rabid UC fans that were just waiting to get in the front pit. But at, So we got there at about 5 a.m. We're waiting in line. There was a line that just wrapped up for like the part behind the pit. It wrapped up all the way from the commons to old cam all the way to baldwin and was going down the stairs toward main street by the time security was just like all right we're dropping them the gates everybody go on in and so literally wow. at 5 45 a.m it was a mad dash about of about probably a thousand kids just running up to the front and like as close as they could to the stage and then there was many times during the three and a half. and uh, three hours of waiting for the show to come on where like the big drone camera or the sky cam was panning over the crowd and i don't know if you saw our friends at barstool since he posted the video but there was one kid who was being held up by somebody on his shoulders and they the espn guys were funny about it they brought the the sky cam right down right to his face and the crowd was chanting kiss it kiss it and then he <laughs> kissed Kissed not the lens, but he kissed the bottom part of it, and like everybody went crazy. So, um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, there was just so many great signs. You know, you're kind of the speakers are only juiced up so much because they don't want to mess with the stage mics. But the most important part, obviously, happened at the end of the show when Lee Corso put on the Bearcat head, and then the Bearcat put on the paper mache Lee Corso head. Mm-hmm. They both did the signature princess wave, uh, and <laughs> uh it was just great i you clipped it you said the moment we've all been waiting for lee corso puts on the bearcat head and i i just felt validated at that point i felt yeah. like yes we made it finally the views from the top of uh the college of arts and sciences from the president's office from tuc like uh and from like the drone shots everything looked packed in there and Obviously, there were some people with some like Jesus signs that get to every game day somehow that got there and people just let them walk right through because at, some, at certain points, the people up front were like, OK, I'm done. <laughs> then, I, like, I stayed for the whole time, but there was a lot of people that ended up like only staying until 1030 or 11 o'clock just because, you know, you they had been standing for four consecutive hours right. and I can't blame them. So, Justin, it was a great time. It's much better than my first college game day experience, where I just basically stood behind the stage uh, and uh, for UCF, and they talked about UC the entire time, too, which yeah. was nice. Like it was a great representation of the program, and obviously the message worked because we went up this week. So, uh, what, did, what did it look like on TV?
0: How did it feel on TV? I will say, um, watching that on TV. I can't I can't say that I had, you know, I, I wanted to go so badly and I could have done it. It's just a it's a six hour haul, which is a lot, especially when you're going to be getting up at about four o'clock in the morning. But on TV, it looked great. Um, And I have to say, like, being able to take that perspective was just as enriching as being there. And I think, you know, at this point, I got to see them talk about the Bearcats all the time, like the entire show. And it was great because I think. Even if you're there, sometimes it might be, you know, it could be a point where it's like hard to hear, or you might not be able to see, or you are got signs in front of you because there's thousands of them. I mean, hundreds at least, but there were so many people there, and it looked like such a great time, um, but optically, we brought the noise to College Game Day, which for this year, you know, just, it's the first season back after COVID, so like, Game Day is really hitting on all cylinders, but... This was a different crowd than I think they've seen in a long time. And they said it on Friday, too. Our Friday crowd was probably as big as some of the other crowds on Saturdays, um, which I thought was really impressive. Uh, We had a lot of people there just for Friday afternoon uh, for College Game Day Live. Um, And so to have that Saturday crowd that really is just suffocating, where, you know, you get somebody like Bear and you could just boo him straight off the stage to the point where Kirk's got to be like come on, what's going on here? What did you do? (laughs) Like multiple times throughout the show, he just got booed to hell. (laughs) It was so great because that man, I don't know, he rags on us too much. And I think he finally got what was coming. Um, but I think it was a lot of fun. Um, I will say, I think Nick Lachey also did a great job, um, as our guest picker. Um, and he was on the money about the MSU game, uh, called that one, which I thought was impressive. Um, and I think that overall, it was just a fun time uh, to be a Bearcat. And it was just cool to to be able to experience it as a fan, just even watching on TV, um, much less probably being so much better even being there. So um, overall, awesome, awesome weekend for the Bearcats um, and their optics. So we look, I think, I think for once, um, you know, we got that national stage and we got the chance to show uh, this ain't quite a group of five team this is much more than a group of five team and we showed that that kind of crowd that kind of care that kind of passion out of a fan base that doesn't come out of just any regular group of five team this is something different and so i'm glad that we were able to uh show them what that is and what cincinnati is and it was a cool time so with that said i think it's a good time to jump to tulsa which was the game of the day um, where things probably didn't go quite as well as we had imagined. Um, again, that score, uh, 28 to 20 final, um, definitely did not cover the spread on that one. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, we're nine and zero. um, I think the Bearcats struggled again, um, which I found kind of odd to be the case uh, at home. I think if it were a game on the road, it'd be a different story, but to be at home and to only be winning by eight points, I think was um, a bit of eh, an anomaly for the Bearcats, especially considering that large win streak that we have at home that we're protecting. Um, They cut it a bit close, and they could have let uh, multiple times Tulsa into the end zone, Uh, but fortunately we made the right plays at the right time to stop them, and Tulsa made some mistakes of their own, which we'll kind of get into a little bit, but... Um, I gotta ask, <laughs> I mean, what, what really happened here? Because watching this, I watched basically the whole game, and it felt like we just fell out of rhythm a lot, and then we let Tulsa do whatever the hell they wanted, and then we shut Tulsa down, and it was just, it felt inconsistent from drive to drive, offensively and defensively. So give us some hardcore analysis. Why? Why did we only win this game by eight points? So, Justin, uh, the Bearcats on Saturday
2: gave up 297 yards rushing to Tulsa. Uh, that was the third most. And that was the second most in the Luke Fickle era. First was obviously that Navy attack in, uh, mm-hmm. in 2017, that almost infamous uh, Navy attack that Luke Fickle changed everything on. Uh Change his whole flow on, you know. Uh and then the second one was two years ago against Ohio State when they ran for two hundred and sixty yards on us. So they uh not good. <laughs> uh and obviously two ninety seven. Uh they we had the edge in rushing touchdowns. We had two to one, but uh, obviously not great. Uh, I'm trying to look up the turnovers here, but too many turnovers. Uh the one by Des in the in, on the four yard line going out was bad, obviously. But uh, he had a tip pass that was picked off. I think there was another fumble at some point. I think we lost the turnover battle, three to one. Um, but overall, man, like I think they finally got it figured out this week, and they kind of got it handed to them by a team that. Does not play to their record, but is very good. Uh, and they returned a lot of guys that they had on the championship team last year. UC was a 17-point favorite in the championship game, and Tulsa gave them a game right up until the end when UC had to win it on a last-second field goal. Uh, I You don't really expect a team like Tulsa to have a great offensive line. But when the Bearcats are playing their three-three-five and they only have three down linemen and they're not—they're only stacking the box with five guys, those those guys and an extra running back can make holes for those running backs. And we've had a lot of missed tackles over the past couple of weeks. That is very uncharacteristic of our defense. And I think against these teams, they're obviously not going to pass on us. Tulsa only had 160 yards of passing because they know that you can't go against Sauce. It's not a great idea to against, go against Kobe. You got two safeties that are like pretty good back there. They, you know, our linebackers are playing really well too. Like Pace has two interceptions this year, so it's really hard to pass against us. But um, in that, if we keep playing in the three down front, they're going to be able to run on us, and it just that's a little bit frustrating. I know, but uh, there was a great Justin Williams piece today in the athletic and then he asked coach fickle about it today in his press conference about um figuring that out and changing fronts and that's not really i don't know if that's necessarily an in-game adjustment they were doing it a couple times in short yardage situations and then on the goal line obviously they held when it mattered most but i know a lot of people including me are just frustrated by the last three weeks of us giving up rushing and then when the rushing attack is stopped they give up a short pass and Tulsa wasn't doing much of the short passes but they got whatever they wanted on the ground and that, It has to be a little bit concerning if we are going to be in the playoff We're going to play a team like georgia that has great offensive line and it can run the ball We played well against them last year, but I mean, you know If we're putting out this tape now of how teams can run on us then Teams are gonna just be more emboldened, you know to to keep doing it. So but other than that, I think it was another a third straight game of where the offense wasn't able to get in a rhythm because Tulsa kept converting on first and second down. They first they kept keeping drives alive, running clock. They only went 4 for 14 on third down, which seems like not true just because it felt like they were able to convert. Maybe a lot of those third downs were early uh, in the game, but and the, like the 297 yards of rushing for a team that's not an option team, it's yeah. not good. And I can definitely understand, I was definitely ready to come in here upset and dejected, but understanding because we hadn't played that well the past three weeks. But I mean, I'll take it, you know, like we, yeah. we were given a chance by the committee and they rewarded us for, for winning still. I'll take it. But. It was just a little bit frustrating just to see our defense look so bad. But I think if we can get that four-man front down, I, I, you can really play a four-two-five. Honestly, keep six guys in the box. Maybe even bring down an extra safety on early downs and then passing downs. You play the three-three-five and drop everybody out. Drop eight and let my Jay Sanders work on poor uh, like AAC offensive linemen and finally get home. Um I think the other thing too and Ed, we only had about 100 rushing yards in this game and we played we had and Dez was um he had uh 274 passing yards so not not terrible you know yep. but I think it could definitely be better and I I also wonder like there was one part of the game where Aircats were already up 14 uh, nothing. We were driving in the second quarter. Uh, we get down to about the 20-yard line. Then UCF did the same thing, too, where Tulsa basically ran engage eight on two straight plays and got two sacks and pushed us back in field goal range. And then uh, uh, Alex Lowry, the new uh, young kicker, missed his field goal. Tulsa went right down and... I think they hit a field goal. At, did they hit a field goal or did they score a touchdown? I think they hit a field goal. So, yep. but um, Sounds great. but I think that was a point where you could have just put them away if you had been able to you know, do something different. And our I think our O line is really not as good as it was last year without James Hudson. Mm-hmm. It, I, it's just frustrating because last year I think was. One of the more perfect years you could have because for those right. first, uh, for those middle five games of football, probably more the middle four games of football, I think UC was firing on all cylinders like offense, defense, special teams, everything was working, man. It was like that stretch from SMU to ECU, all that, all of it was working. And then those three games of the season, last three games of the season, it wasn't all necessarily working, but. I think I'm spoiled by what I saw from those middle four games.
0: Well, and I'll kind of jump on this, too, because I'm going to ask you about this as well. We're, we're, we've been in a little bit of a tough, tough stretch and obviously the middle of our schedule, just like you said, but do you think that it might be a good time to have this? Because personally, I would rather have this tough stretch where we are right now, because I think obviously we've gotten a little bit lucky with MSU dropping back. Um, with some other teams shifting around. Our initial ranking kind of sucked, but at the same time, when we look at this situation, right now we're sitting in fifth when we look at the rankings, and we're looking at this college football playoff shaping up. So if we're having our down moment now, I think that gives us enough time to shape things back up and hit momentum for the end of the season and run. Personally, I would rather have that down point be recognized then go roll through everybody and then hit that oh shit moment because once you hit that it's hard to figure that out in one week because it could it could get all the way down to the championship game and that could be our oh shit moment where maybe it could be even you know even too late if we're running into uh, SMU or Houston I would assume it, it's at this point it's got to be Houston but um running into a team like that, it's going to be a tough test, and I'd rather be able to figure out our problems now, be able to identify those issues like the run game, uh, or at least run defense being so porous, uh, and being able to fix that week in and week out, versus just get all the way down to the end, and now we're looking at, all right, what are our problems? We haven't really been able to identify them yet, and now we're going to have to figure it out with this week and bowl game. And so... I think it's personally a good thing. Nobody's going to look at this and say, well, okay, an eight-point win's a good thing, but I think we're finally starting to see where the holes are in this team, and that's a good point to identify for the rest of the season. So as much as it sucks to have these close games, we got to remember we are 9-0. and We are winning. We are in fifth. We are on the cusp of the playoff, and I just can't look at the rest of the top four that's there and not see at least one of them losing. Georgia, I think, is a lock. I think everybody will take that to the house. Um, If Georgia were for somehow to mess that up, by all means, it's going to be absolute chaos. Um, But between Alabama, Ohio State, and Oregon, I think Oregon and Alabama specifically are primed for a loss before the end of the season. Um, Whether that be something like next week or whether that be the championship game that they have, um, one of them is going to lose, and at this point, a loss kicks you out or just moves you back into the filing line. So I think we're in a good position now. Um, and like I said, I think this is a good time to identify those problems, and I think we'll move forward from it well. Um, but I do have one more question for you on this whole Tulsa deal. Is Now we're looking at Tulsa, who is three and is 3-6. We're nine and 9-0. Oh. Um, what do you think our biggest problem to solve outside of the very clear run defense issue is? Because like um, we said, we've had so many inconsistencies. We've had these problems here and there, but what do you think that big issue that we need to fix is? I think the, the biggest one is the, the pass blocking. And
2: I don't think Desmond Ritter has been himself since that Temple, uh, well, I'll I'll say the UCF game. Last three games, he has not get been given enough time to really get the ball out, and I think he's just going through a little bit of a spoon where he's barely missing guys and guys that are having to make plays just to get to him. And um, we've seen this also with Joe Burrow as well, where like these guys who are so experienced in their offenses and who have been pretty good before are getting fooled by defenses. And I think Desmond Ritter has to just get more short throws. We've been trying a lot of long throws down the field and I don't know if they've necessarily been working, you know, I don't think they've been like that great so far uh, or the past few weeks. I think we just kind of focus on the short passing game, focus on when to. To josh i have not heard leonard, yep. na- leonard taylor's name called uh, maybe once in the past past month um yeah you know and like tyler scott we keep picking uh, talking about him and picking him because of that first game it feels like he's been taken out
0: yeah i
2: feel like the most of the targets have been going to michael young recently and that's without being backed up by any stats whatsoever Um, Josh had a pretty good game last week. I think he had another touchdown, and then Michael Young had another touchdown, but I think the the way this offense was humming last year and earlier this season was when they were getting every receiver involved, and Ritter was just picking people apart, and obviously had to respect the run game to do that. I think we were, like, the RPO doesn't seem to be uh, run as much recently, and I think it's also just a thing of we need more possessions. Just need more possessions. And if the defense can't get off the field without a five minute drive going by, I think our offense just gets rusty. And yeah. Seen in games where we've had a lot of possessions, we've been able to roll up a lot of points eventually just because we figure out what the what their defense is doing. And most defensive coordinators, they might have two different things, maybe three, but after three four or five drives a good offensive coach or a good offensive staff is going to figure out what they're doing and have a way to attack it and don't think we're getting enough drives to in a way to attack it and much like the championship game from last year where Bearcats went up or by two scores early and then Tulsa fought their way back credit to awesome, Tulsa man they Fought their way back. They, you know, that a three and five team probably doesn't have any business fighting back with a coach who might get fired this year. But credit to them, man, they're tough. They fought back. They were talking smack the entire game.
0: I think we've got positives. We have. We know what need to uh, we need to work on. So uh, we're gonna move on here to what just happened tonight as well. Before the ranking show, uh, Bearcats basketball kicked off their season. Uh, Wes Miller had his first game um in fifth third arena and he snagged a dub and it it was a great game and I've got a ton of notes on this so I'm just going to try to run through these as quick as I can um but real quick Steve just give me your quick 30 second thought how do we feel I am pulling up a Justin Williams tweet right
2: now uh talking to Wes Miller in his post-game press conference and uh when Wes Miller is excited, uh, I saw someone compare him to Mick, and I was like, uh, I don't know. I'm hoping for more Roy Williams than Mick. But, you know, he, a, short, a, a short guy who likes deep. He, he's about six foot. <laughs> but, you know, short guy who likes defense, you know. Uh, but, okay, all right, here's the quote. I can't lie. You kind of pinch yourself when you walk out there and you see that kind of environment. It's a dream as a coach, dream as a player really like that every night in here, it's going to be a heck of a run, a heck of a lot of fun. Over 10,000 fans packed into fifth-third arena tonight to watch this game, and they obviously came away happy with the victory and came away happy with defense and initial signs of life from the offense. So, Justin, why don't you run through your points?
0: Absolutely. So, with that said... Run the point with Justin (laughs) (laughs) Hines. Now i got to add more background music again. i just got to find it. Um... So uh yeah, I really, really liked what I saw today. Um, uh, there was lots of high fives, lots of energy, and there was clearly a ton of chemistry already, uh, which is great considering that this team was really just completely restructured in the matter of uh, an off season. Um and there was a lot of changes, but it looks like they're having fun. Um one thing I wanted to point out too, Wes Miller was full back sweat jacket was ditched, and he was super energetic on the sideline, and that was within just a few minutes of the start of the game. Um, And it's really nice to see a coach who's excited and encouraging um, play-by-play. And by the time that we hit that 10-point mark, um, I think that that's really when things started kicking up, and you could really see the team start to just get into a gel, um, which we can thank Mason Madsen for, for really getting us on that run. I'll get back to that point later. Um, But I don't want to jump off of what you said there earlier but i made this point that i think he does kind of remind me of mick just in one game so far love it or hate it i think he's just got the energy on the sideline he's very you know fists clenched screaming and then he'll be like calm in the next moment and then it's just all over the place or he'll just gently talk to the guy who's coming off to the sideline i don't know he's just got a lot of emotion and energy which is nice because it's a big contrast from what we saw with john brandon who's very stoic a lot of the time. I really do like what I saw with our defense. This is the most important part, um, and I think that everybody can kind of agree on this is because this was a Cincinnati defense. Um, It took one game, and we saw the Cincinnati defense. We didn't have to figure it out. They played scrappy, man-to-man, in-your-face, cutting off passing lanes, not letting the other team breathe. And it seemed that blocks seemed to be a major focus. Reminder that we do have the two leading blockers in the entire NCAA, uh, which is great. Um, So, of course, blocks are going to be a focus, but I think that they did a really good job of that. Um, They did a really good job of protecting the paint, of course, um, and putting pressure on the arc. But they did allow a couple of players to get free for threes, um, and I think that might have just been a game plan because they clearly shut down the paint. I'd have to look at the stat again, but I want to say they only had like 14 points, something like that, in the paint, uh, less than 20. and. They clearly didn't score very much, but we did what we needed to do. So that was great, and I can't complain about anything there. Um, Everyone was sharing the ball. Everyone was getting shots. Everyone was putting in effort. There's no individual player that everybody is relying on that's shouldering the load. Um, There's nobody that's just our one momentum guy. It seems like we've got a couple of them, Um, and it's nice because I think in prior years, like, We just really go to that one key guy like, oh, it's Jaron, or oh, it's this person, or oh, it's that person, you know. And so to finally have this kind of full team um, end-to-end, anybody can score, anybody can play defense, anybody can get, you know, scrappy, I really like it. Um, And in these burner exhibition games against teams with less hype... Um, the bear Bearcats seemed to kind of put the pedal to the metal offensively, but didn't really care defensively. They didn't really kick that up until conference play or we had an opponent like Xavier or, you know, some of those bigger games for us. Um, so I really liked what I saw in that, uh, in that aspect. Going more specifically to players, Davenport, we're going to start with him. He was everywhere on the court. It's just how he plays. He's aggressive end-to-end, offense, defense, scoring, he gets what he wants, defense, he takes what he wants. And and I love that we have a player like this and that he's from Cincinnati because he cares and it shows. But again, like I said before, he's not just the one guy because there's a lot others like him on the team. And it's nice that we have that balance, but he knows how to use the crowd to his advantage. Uh, the crowd listens to him. The crowd gets hyped. He knows how to hype the crowd up, which I think is a really good uh, key thing to have, especially when you have that home field or home court advantage. And I think another thing that's interesting is that he's so athletic and so strong, um, which makes it feel like he should be this power, you know, bruiser kind of player that's going to dunk on you every time. Um, but he's really consistent from the three, and I think that makes him a pretty positionless player, especially considering his ability on defense as well. Anyways, he had a great showing tonight. Had 11 points, 8 rebounds, um, and I've got nothing per, for eh, nothing but praise for him. Um, DeJulius looks a lot more shifty. Um, he's definitely improved on his handles even more than he had before, and he's nasty with the acceleration. He'll snap off the ball so fast, and it's awesome to watch because he's, like I said, kind of has that hardened sort of burst or like the Kyrie kind of burst where, you know, off the dribble, next thing you know, he's right past you. Um, which I really do like. Um with that said, I think that's good for creating gaps, passing to the arc. He's got a lot of speed to the bucket. At the same point, I wouldn't quite call him a bruiser um in the same way that we did with Jaron. Um mainly because he just doesn't really he doesn't body into the guys as much. He kind of plays off of them. Kind of more um kind of more like that driving to kick out rather than the driving to score. Um, but he's still been doing a great job, and because we can look at this game as our first example, he did great providing 9 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, filling the stack column. I think if he keeps that up, you know, he could be edging on a triple-double, but we're not going to call anything early. Um, It's just It was just a start game with Evansville, but he looked great out tonight, Um, and so I'd like to see him keep playing like that. Hayden Cavall, Locken, Aguama, that group solid in the paint. Got a lot of bounce, a lot of pop. Great feeding each other, um, or feeding off of each other. One goes up, goes for the block. Player fakes and then goes up and smacks the block with that after the fake. Like it's, you know, sometimes you just got one guy who's going to be burning in the paint. But when you got two or three guys who can rotate in and out of there, and are going to be putting pressure, uh, pressure on that offensive scoring in paint. There's a reason why they scored nothing tonight in the paint. they did really well, and I have to – I'm not, I'm not going to say apologize because I didn't really know much about him going in other than that he was a great shot blocker. Hayden really surprised me. Um, that man is no scrub. I didn't think that he was, but, like, it's just a thing of, you know, you're in Cincinnati, and somebody transfers in from a uh, – you know – I hate using this because we're not that, but from a non-Power 5 program, and you sort of expect them to be, okay, well, it's UNC Greensboro. And, and you know, Wes obviously looked great, but we all have these different expectations at this next level um, because it is a step up. Cincinnati's a step up, and if we said there was anything else, we'd be lying to ourselves. Um, but he fits in this team very well. Obviously, this is Wes's system, so he knows what he's doing. But Hayden looked great, and this guy's a monster in the paint. He goes up for everything, gets blocks, takes body shots, and his height just makes him impossible to get past if he's got his arms up. So I really liked what I saw from him. Big point here, Madsen, I said I'd come back to this. I'm coming back to it now. I would love for this guy to be a starter, but he has a role, and he's on the bench, and he's on the bench for a reason, not because he deserves to be on the bench, but because he deserves to be the momentum off the starting five. Um, he lights it up when he comes in. He did that last year as well. Um, he came in two back-to-back threes. From that point on, Evansville never came back into the game. They It was kind of back and forth, back and forth. Two back-to-back threes. Bearcats were up three or four, whatever it was, and we took control for the rest of the game. So, Madsen, I think, is that energy guy. can really inject some offense. I liked what I saw from him. I could always give high praise for Madsen. I want to see more minutes from him. But ultimately, I think his shooting was great, and I, we can't have any complaints, really, about anybody. There was nobody where we're like, ah, you know, I, I'm not sure about this guy or that guy. Everybody looked great tonight. So my big stats to note for the game tonight, 42% from the three in the first half. That was a huge number, which was like, everybody's like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, red lights, red lights. What? What? Stop for a second. This is the Bearcats doing this? And, and then, of course, I think it you know kind of tuned back down in the second half. I'm not really sure what happened with the three-point rhythm. Um, we did have a higher volume of threes than we usually ever have as Bearcats. Um, but that number was kind of unheard of. And I think that that was um, a fun number to watch as the game went on. Hopefully, we can have some more of that in the games to come, um, especially with Georgia coming up here soon. But I liked what I saw there. Um, another thing. Hayden Koval is in the top 50 all time in the NCAA for blocks. A number I did not know. But that's pretty crazy when you think about all the different players, NBA, Hall of Famers, all of those people who came through college basketball, and he's in the top 50. That's pretty cool that we've got that on our team. And again, I think it just goes to show his talent and his ability to be a true you know, core shot blocker and really make a difference on the team. This one pains me because year in, year out, it doesn't matter who the coach is. It doesn't matter who's on the roster. It doesn't matter what the hell. I think it's just a Cincinnati curse. We don't make free throws. Uh, We were under 50% from the line again tonight, which I feel like just never changes. Um, We have one game where we might hit like 75%, 70%, and then straight back to the floor. I don't know why. If coaches just don't focus on free throws because they want you to make your threes or make whatever you're making on the floor. We can't hit free throws, and that part I'm going to be sick of for the rest of my life. But as long as we win games, whatever. But it's cost us many, many times in the past, and that's why I have so much hesitation when I look at that stat just in this first game. But again, it's the first game. We'll work out kinks. We need to get better at our free throws. Um, not a lot of second chance scoring. I would like to see more of that. Uh, Wes seems to play a pace and, spa- uh, pace and space kind of fast break offense. Um, It really seems to be what he relies on. He does really good with the pressure defense as well, Um, playing that man-to-man and really just being suffocating. Um, But I would like to see some more second-chance scoring because I'd have to look at the number again. I think we were around eight or nine offensive rebounds, um, and we averaged about 10 last year. Um, And we have been genuinely good at rebounding over the past few years, but I think that we should be a lot better than just having those few second chance opportunities. Let me
2: read that all for you uh real quick. Yeah. Uh, six offensive rebounds Oof. for the Bearcats, seven second chance points. But uh here's something that I liked uh from just reading the box score. Yeah. Uh, Evansville only had 10 points in the paint, zero second chance points. Bearcats gotcha. 32 points in the paint, seven
0: second chance points, and I love that. So,
2: finish up your final point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a good thing to note because Ultimately, you know, if, if you're not going to get the second chance points, convert on the points that you're making in the first place, you don't need a chance or a second chance point. So uh, that's important too. Last thing here, the Bearcats currently sit at 117 in Kempom ratings, which, you know, there isn't much tape on a team that's just been assembled with a new coach and a lot of new players, new transfers. Um, 117 just feels awfully low. I feel like that's that number is just you're telling me that there's 116 teams that are certifiably confirmed better. I mean it's Kempom so it's Kempom is more statistics than it is anything. It's not really opinion but 117 just kind of sucks. <laughs> um, well,
2: so Kempom takes an a uh, like it's basically efficiency and then takes like luck factor into it, pace factor into it. So like I and mean, if we shot 30% from three, which is pretty good overall, uh, 45% from the field overall, pretty good. And then uh, obviously defense looked good. Uh, I think you got to break down what the numbers say in between, like it, whether, whether we have this ranked offense, this ranked defense, this ranked luck. Um, but hey, I didn't even look at the Ken Palm rankings last year at all because I knew the Bearcats were like, way down there so um but hey anything is more positive than whatever was last
0: year absolutely and i think one important thing to remember too is that we've been staring at so many numbers for football all season remember there's 130 fbs teams in football there's a hell of a lot more in division one when it comes to basketball um so 117 yeah you're in the middle of the pack Anyways, that is everything that I had to say about Evansville. Um, There was, again, a lot of positives. Everything was working well. Um, I think there was a lot of uh, bench scoring. The bench outscored the starters, which was great to see, too. Um, And pretty much everybody put up points. So we've got another game coming up while we're on basketball. Um, On Saturday, we played Georgia. Um, I don't really know what to expect. Right now, we are favored. It is a home game for the Bearcats. Um, We are favored, I think, 52% in that matchup um, to 48% according to ESPN's uh, analytics. But I don't really know where to go. I mean, I I think this is one of those ones where we just kind of got to see what happens because we don't really have a lot of tape on Georgia. But go ahead.
2: So they did just play tonight. They beat uh, the Florida International Panthers of Conference USA 58 to 51. And the first thing I see on ESPN, the headline is Georgia stays off upset bid by defeating uh, FIU 58 to 51. So I mean, eh. so they shot 20 percent uh, for the game from the three-point line, 35 uh, percent overall. Um, which I think if you can keep those numbers similar in fifth-third with a raucous environment in their second game for both teams, that'd be awesome. Um, they shot 71% from the free-throw line, so don't foul them. Um, they had seven offensive rebounds, which is crazy. Uh, that's like that's pretty good. Um, they turned the ball over 15 times tonight. Another thing that I noticed in the Bearcats' box score tonight Turn the ball over nine times. That's awesome. Yeah. And a couple of experienced guards only turning the ball over nine times. That's great. Um, their largest lead tonight was uh, 10 for Georgia. Now, uh, I don't know what the talent difference is between FIU and Evansville, but it seems like Georgia didn't play that well and still got the win. Uh, whereas, you know, UC, like, played a lot better than their competition. So – and. Is that our house? I feel like you got to play good defense, take care of the ball, and we should be good to go.
0: Absolutely. Um, and we will say, I will point this out too uh, Georgia was favored uh, 83% while going into that game. <laughs> and they cut it close. Um, the factor actually went into um, FIU's favor because they did lead not too far from the end of the game with about 10, 11 minutes to go. So um, maybe it's just a mess up you know, figure your stuff out kind of game for Georgia. But I think I feel pretty good about the Bearcats going into this one too. So with that said, we'll give our quick predictions for this because we're just trying to figure it out. Um, This is our first prediction for basketball. Who do you think is going to lead us in points against Georgia on Saturday?
2: I am going to go with David DeJulius. I think David's going to be facilitating the offense, but... He didn't get his threes to
0: fall tonight, and I think he'll get him to fall on Saturday. What about you? What do you think? I think that's a great pick, but I am going to run with my guy, J.D. Um, I think that he's just going to be able to turn it up again. And again, he's just all over the court at all times. He gets involved in everything. He can pick the ball off. He can score. He can rebound. He's just a stat sheet filler. Um, and ultimately, I think with that, he's kind of going to, He's got to be my guy for that, so I'm going to go with J.D. How about your rebounds leader? Uh, Interestingly enough, Davenport led in rebounds tonight. Considering we have some pretty tall guys, Uh, they're up there. (laughs) They're pretty big, so I think it was a little bit of an oddball that they didn't end up with more rebounds, but um, it was a pretty good share across the team. So who do you think you can have?
2: I am going to go with Davenport for this one uh, just because I think he is going to be just as pacey as some of those sec guys, Anthony Edwards is in the NBA. He is not with Georgia Bulldogs anymore. Yep. So uh, I feel like our talent level should be able to match. I'm going to go with JD. What about you? Who do you think is going to lead
0: us in rebounds? Um, I think I liked what I saw from Hayden today. Um, And I think that Hayden is honestly too big too strong um, and too involved in the paint to not end up scooping up a lot of those rebounds. So I think I'm going to go with Hayden on that one. Now, as for assists leader, who's that going to be? I think this one's probably pretty easy, um, but we'll ask it anyways. Um, For the sake of being different,
2: uh, even though it's it prob- may not come true, I'm going to go with Margai guy Shuey, Maw, Mike Adams-Woods. Um, he was... Pretty much looked like from the box score, he's kind of more of a complimentary role tonight. wasn't really scoring enough, but uh, I think if you know uh, David's going to get chances to shoot, I think Mike is going to get chances to assist him. So and you can take David and Julius because that's the, probably the smarter bet. But just to be different. I chose Maul. So are you going
0: to take David? Yeah, got to roll David. <laughs> <laughs> Good choice. Um, you know he's just too much of a facilitator to. Uh, not being in that case. Uh, one thing I will say is interesting too, um, with your pick, Micah led the team in minutes tonight too. Um, not by much 27 minutes to compare to 25 with David right there in second, um, in minutes, but um, interesting to see in his role, considering he wasn't as involved offensively. Um, so there's that for what it's worth. Um, two more questions. Will the Bearcats score 65 or more points?
2: 65 was where we were tonight and I believe that um, I'm going to be optimistic and say yes uh just because I don't think we're in full rock fights with Wes. I, I hope we're not cuz uh, 43 to 44 games are not my, really my bag when I'm
0: watching <laughs> basketball, but I'm going to hope so. What about you? Okay. Um I'm gonna, I'm going to roll with yes. My 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 heart's telling me that it's probably going to be a little bit more of a rock fight, but I think I'm going to roll with you on that. Um, the Bearcats seem to have a really good offense going. It's just whether or not they hit their shots, and I think we honestly hit a lot less shots than we could have um, tonight. And so if those begin to fall, especially against a team like Georgia at home, I'm going to say we're going to score more than 65, so... Rocking with that. Um, and last question: Will the Bearcats be fifty percent or more from the free throw line against Georgia? Um, again tonight, must I remind everyone the Bearcats were a whopping forty-seven percent from the line? I hate the stat every single night. If you look at the, it's just one of two, two of two, two of two, one of two, one of four, one of two, oh of three. Like, I hate this number so much, but free throws matter. People will tell you if you can score, it, that's what matter. Free throws matter. They win you games, especially when it comes down to the wire. And we've seen it way too many times where free, th- free throws have caught us. And I looked back to that 2019-2020 season where there was way, way, way too many overtime games that we could have just ended with free throws had we made them. Um, and speaking of that 2019 season, next week... We might be having a special guest from that team. We'll let you guys try and figure out who that might be. That's a little tidbit, a little surprise for you. Um, That would be our first guest of the year. So we're looking forward to that. Um, Not perfectly confirmed yet, but in the works, very hopeful for that. So look forward to that. Um, With that said, I think that covers all of our basketball predictions. We're not trying to get too many of those. Um, but real quick, we're going to preview USF and get you guys on out of here uh, because there was lots to cover today. All right, Justin, let's hit it with the two-minute drill here. Let's go. So the last time that we played in Raymond James Stadium, we won on a game-winning kick at the zeros from the one and only Sam Crosa. Uh, that was a very gritty game where we squeaked out with a win where we probably should have lost. Um, but thank you to the uprights. We made it out of there alive. Um It's yet another road game in a season that of late is looking ever more like a challenge week in and week out. Um, So it's a Friday game, 6 o'clock. I want to ask you this too. Do you like Friday games? I think I, I have to say no because they interfere with high school football. And that's not even me watching high school football. We're late enough in the season where it shouldn't matter. But overall, I feel like college football has to be played on Saturdays.
2: I agree. Um, these Friday night games are going to go out the window, though, when we move to the Big Twelve. Uh, maybe a Thursday night game every now and then, because I like a Thursday night game. I'm a big fan of the Friday nights. So, yeah. uh, as long as would those go out the window in the Big Twelve, I will agree with you. I'm a high school football guy through and through. Yeah. So, but hey, the last time we played at USF as a top ten team on a ranked. Uh, uh, on a weeknight was that Thursday night game in 2009 when Zach Calaris uh, took a design quarterback run 75 yards for a touchdown. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, Let's get into these predictions real
0: quick. Yeah, for sure. So um, we'll get right into it. Who's going to be your leading receiver? Uh, This one's kind of been all over the board, and I got screwed last week. I said I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I went with somebody other than Alec Pierce. And I got screwed because it was Alec Pierce who had over 100 yards and a touchdown. So I'm taking the L on that one. Who's going to be your leading receiver this week against the USF Bulls? I'm going to go back
2: to my man, Josh Wiley. I uh, worked once, got me a point. So uh, how about you? Who's your leading
0: receiver? Screw it. Alec Pierce. There <laughs> we go. I, 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 of course, it's always going to be the opposite of what it needs to be, but it's going to be Alec Pierce this week for me. So how about your turnover creator?
2: I'm going to say that Darian Beavers is going to get in there and strip a ball or just knock it out of some guy's hand. He's already got two on the year, and I think this is another game for him. If we're going to focus on stopping the run, it's time for Darian Beavers to step up one more time and get another big turnover.
0: How about you? I think this week I am going to roll. I think I'm going to roll with my Jay. Actually, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm gonna roll with Kobe again. I'm gonna roll with Kobe. I think obviously he, you know, picked uh, picked up a fumble this week, but I think he's probably gonna get a pick because um, I think it's due time. And again, you just can't throw at sauce. Got to throw at it somebody. It's gonna be Kobe. And so far from this QB, I'm not so impressed as far as USF goes. Um, and if he's slinging it, I think he's just gonna throw it in the wrong direction. So, um, so how about Des? Will he have over 300 passing yards? Um I hate to be negative for the first time, but I'm going to say no, but
2: it's not because of Dez being bad. I feel like he only needs 250 passing yards and we're going to uh, try to get 150 to 175 rushing yards to really be on our game. Uh and I think I think that 250 number
0: is a good number for Dez, so I'm going to say no. I agree with you on that. I'm going to roll no on that as well. Um and I think that Dez showed a bit of his mobility last week. But I do agree. I think Des is probably going to be running a bit more, and I think we're going to try to focus on that run game. Um, especially, um, kind of wanted to ask about this earlier. I think we should be good to go for Jerome this week. I think he's going to be fine. He was up and walking at the end of the game. He was on the bike uh, against Tulsa, but he did go out early. Um, so as long as Jerome's good, I think we'll be good. Um, how about defense? Will the defense force two or more interceptions?
2: Oh, yeah, why not? I'll say they will. Yep. <laughs> Give it to me.
0: Cool. Lock it in. Two or more. How about you? I'm going to say no, but I definitely think we'll have one at least. Uh, Two is a stretch, but it wouldn't be the first time the Bearcats have had two in a game or even more. Um, So with that said, will a single receiver have two touchdowns? Uh, And his touchdowns come in bunches, so I'm going to say yes, he will have two. Okay. Cool. Um, I'm gonna say leading receiver touchdown. I'm gonna also go with two. Um, How about that spread? We are at 23 and a half for this game. Uh, We've been screwed on this for the past few weeks, Um, and we keep trying to take uh, the Bearcats covering, and it's just not working out. But uh, Bearcats on the road at USF. How are we feeling about the 23 and a half?
2: So Justin, I'm going to go reverse uh, psychology on this and uh, manifest uh, negative for a positive. I'm going to say we do not cover the spread, and my final score is going to be 31 to 17, and the hopes that it is a much larger margin than that. So uh, plain and simple. Uh, If I've been going the other way and they haven't been covering when I said they will, they're going to cover when I said they won't. So um,
0: I hope you're not. I hope you're fading my picks. What about you, Justin? Well, we (laughs) go. Might as well. Um, I'm going to say that the Bearcats are going to cover the spread, and I'm going to give a final of 42-17. I think if I did my math right, that should add up to 23 and a half uh, covering that. But it's 24, um, 24, 25. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, 25. So um, that's going to be my final score line. Um, I think that's just about all we got for you guys this week. And again, uh, be on the lookout for next week. Uh, We should be having a special guest. Hopefully, considering all of that works out, um, we're going to have a fun episode next week um, covering some Bearcats basketball and reviewing USF. Hopefully all goes well. And reviewing the rankings show. Maybe we'll get lucky and somebody else will fall and the Bearcats will rise. So... Again, be on the lookout for that episode. If you're not, make sure to follow us at VivaLacatsPod on Twitter and follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen uh, to keep up up to date with our new episodes every Wednesday.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.